Welcome back. It is a pleasure to see everybody. I hope everybody has been having a fantastic week so far. Let's, let's jump straight in. So what the topic that we're going through, we're going through a series called The What and Why of Prayer. Um, this is really just a, a, a very selfishly, it's an opportunity for myself to gain a little more expertise in Twilla. So I'm very happy that we're all trying to do this together. Um, and we're going through every segment of davening. And what happened was I thought they would do three per, per week, but it turns out that some of these are a little bit a little long, longer and more complex then actually meets the eye. So the topic of today is the Birkas HaTorah, um, which actually might be a mispronunciation. What else, how should it perhaps be written? Birkos HaTorah, the blessings on the Torah. So we have to see there are blessings, not one singular blessing. So we have to perhaps appreciate that in context. So this is something that, we're, that one should um, be saying on a daily basis. And in, in all honesty, and I'll tell you my, my particular experience of this, nobody ever told me about this. Right, so you you, be, you you know you sort of you grow up in shul and you know you come to shul and there's men mumbling and there's the the folks the boy you know talking about the latest weather and sports and then the other people mumbling and you come to shul and you become bar mitzvah and you just sort of get on with the program but nobody ever told you that there's this business here and they all sort of expect you to know that there's was a birkas torah and at some point in time you know I don't know it was it must have been in high school there's this birkas torah I'm like oh that's what all that stuff was at the beginning of the siddur so there's a, there's a whole bunch of things that need to be done before you daven. And included in this is the Birkas Hatara or the Birkos Hatara. Um, so what are the Birkas Hatara? So the, the, uh, it turns out that there really are two slash three paragraphs followed by two slash three paragraphs. So the, the first of the, the first paragraph is somewhat ambiguous. We say, Baruch Hashem, Blessed you, Hashem, creator of the world. Um, who commanded us with your commandments, Sivanu, uh, and may um, obligated us last to involve ourselves in the words of Torah. And then we go on into what sounds like a little bit of supplication. Make your the word be sweet in our mouths and in the mouths of our children and children's children. And, um, and that we should always be involved in the Torah, in, in Torah, who teaches Torah to Israel. And then there's a third paragraph, paragraph or second paragraph, which is the, the blessing of Hashem. You chose us from among all the nations and gave us the Torah. Those are the, the Birkhoi Torah, And we followed by three sets of, um, of learning. We, do, we quote Apostle, we quote Birkhas Kohanim, we quote Mishnah. And then we quote uh, Gomorrah, which is that these are things that a person eats the fruit of in this world and receives the reward in the world to come. So that's what, that's what we quote as the Birkas Torah. So what we're going to do is a little bit of research. Some of these points are obvious. Some of them are much less obvious. Let's, let's start at the very beginning. Where do we know this from? So, so like, why are we doing this? Like, who made us do this and why? So if we look at what we're actually saying, we say, Blessed you, Hashem, the creator of the universe. The God of the, the the King of the Universe, you commanded us to do this. Well, okay, if that's the case, then where did He command us to do that precisely? We're we're just we're saying that Hashem commanded us to do something. Well, where did He command us to do that thing? So um, we can ask this about a lot of things, and it's important to know this because we say a birkas mitzvah about many things which Hashem didn't directly command us. So, as an example, when we're about to have about our bread, we say, and, um, and when we say that Hashem commanded us to wash our hands, that's not precisely the story. Right? Why? Because God did not tell us to wash our hands. What did He tell us to do? Listen. To listen them to, the, to the sages who told us to wash our hands. So just to, to appreciate, sometimes when we say commanded, thank you so much, Robert. There are source sheets right over here. Thank you so much. I could ask maybe perhaps to, to split up in both directions. Thank you so much, Marvin. There we go. Thank you so much. Okay, now we can we are beyond the text as well. So like we're so we have to be careful. Sometimes we talk about Hashem commanding us, and we actually talk about the the rabbis, Hashem telling us to listen to the sages, and the sages institute certain regulations in society, and that's what ends up ends up ends up happening. Oh, at this break moment, just wanted to have, didn't have a chance to wish a special mazel to Michael, becoming a granddad this the, the, this the, this week to Abigail Rose. Bezra Hashem, continue, continue smachos. What a wonderful, wonderful week of simcha, especially a Purim simcha. Um, so that, that that's the question. That's the question. Where does this come from? So here's here's what the Gemara says. The Gemara actually on Davchov Aleph Amar Aleph Brachos tells us that in fact this is the the source of this actually is from the Torah itself. So. As an example, um, the the Gemara over here is in, on on um, it, um, is on um, page three, source two. The Gemara says, "Minayne berkasat Torah." The lefonei minat Torah. How do we know the Torah tells us to say a blessing beforehand? 
When I mention the name of Hashem, then I should give greatness to uh, to to his uh, to our to our God. That's what the that's what the Torah says. So it sounds like if we're to start over here, it sounds like if we, if this is our starting point, that it is a pasuk. The Torah is telling us a pasuk. Where's this pasuk from? Out of interest. This is from Parshas Hazino. Right, so it's a song and it's talking about the Torah. So you look if you reverse to source one, it's talking about Torah. Torah is likened to a number of things. One of the things it's likened to is water. So as an example, in the previous passage is Yarov, Kamatolikhi, Tizal Katali Mrasi. So it, the, the doctrine of Hashem will drip like rain, his speech will distill as dew, Kisi Irim Desher as rain or light rain upon the tender grass, Kirvivim Aleidesev and the showers upon the herbs for those who are staying up later last night and heard all of that happening outside. So that's, that's, that, that's what the, the Torah is likened to. Very, the Torah is this, this sort of this rain, which is an important point because that means to say that rain makes whatever is in the earth grow. So whether it be weeds, or a tended garden, it'll grow if you put the Torah on it. So don't expect that the Torah is going to make us necessarily a better person if there's corrupt seeds in it. That's, <laughs> that's an important point to learn from this Bosak. And then the next Bosak is after describing Torah as this, um, as this, um, this, uh, the, this, um, this description of rain, then it says, When I call out to the name of God, then I'll give greatness to God, to, to Hashem our God. Interesting. So, what, what, what does that mean precisely? That's a very ambiguous pasuk. When I call out the name of God, then I will give greatness <coughs> to Him. That's, that, that's somewhat ambiguous. So, so, so ambiguous that multiple things are learned from here. As an example, in the basis of English, when Hashem's name would be mentioned, what would, what would be the response, the requisite response from the crowd would be? Which is in, in, so that's why on Yom Kippur, you know, in, in the Avodah, we, we bow down and we say Baruch Shem. That's because we are replicating what happened in the Beis Minash. We say, Baruch Shem Kavad Machos We hear the coin doing the vidui. When he does the confession, he puts his hands on, on, on the head of those particular those two animals three times over. And um, each time we hear Hashem's full explicit name, we say, Baruch Shem. Where do we learn that from? That's Pazak. How do we know you do Zimun? That when, that when you have three people together, you say a Zimun before benching. Also this Pazak. How do you know you say Amen? This Pazak as well. So this Pazak is an idea where when Hashem's name is mentioned, we have to respond in like. This is all from this pasuk because the vagueness of this pasuk is all encapsulating. But this, the Gemara also says, is also the the, the source that we say Birkas Hatara, the blessing on the, uh, on the Torah as well, which is a little confusing because the the it seems that the trigger is the name of God, but isn't the bracha the name of God, right? I mean, it's a little confusing, right? So to to unpack that further. The way this is generally understood is the following: the Ramban, Nachmanides, in introduction to the to 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 his con, his commentary on the Torah says that in fact that the Torah in its primordial state was an algorithm and the algorithm you know we, we hear this this notion that that the, that is talked about the Zohar says that Hashem this is an Aramaic Hashem looked into the Torah and created the world it's like it's a little funny like did he look into Pasha's Mishpatim like you know like was he what was it which Aliyah was it that he was looking at then when he so, so that's, that's a little bit of a childish perspective. He, he wasn't looking at the Torah in the form that we have it. Clearly, it was an, a concept before it turned into what we have as written on the parchment. So what was it? So the, the Ramban talks about this primordial energy in an algorithm of unbroken chain of Hashem's names. An unbroken chain of Hashem's names. And when we received the Torah, what happened was is that Hashem broke up some of that algorithm into what we'll call language that we as logical, limited human beings can access. So now that we read it, oh, it makes sense. It's now talking about there's an ox and there's a pit and there's a fire and there's a, you know, we, there's pure and there's impure. So we hear all those words, but that is really essentially a breakdown or a limitation of that algorithm of Hashem's names. So therefore, technically speaking, when I mention the name of God, meaning AKA, when I reconnect it and I'm reading those words of the Torah, <laughs> which is explicitly the algorithm of Hashem's name, then that's when I'm supposed to give greatness to Hashem's name. So it's referring to the Torah itself, which is an expression of Hashem's name ultimately, which is being, which is being described here. So that's, that's what seems to be said in the, um, coming out of this Gemara. Um, and um, this actually leads to a very fascinating question because the immediately preceding um, point in the Gemara is, how do we know that we say the Birkas Hamazon after we eat? That's the immediately preceding Gemara over here. The Gemara says, how do we know that? Well, that one's a little more explicit, right? So, three, three requirements there. So, you have to eat, you have to get satiated, and then, you don't, and then at that point in time, one has to bless. So, it seems that the Torah, that the Gemara is describing two brachas 
that the Torah requires. One is that on food, on sustaining food, and the other one is on Torah, on spiritual, and the, the spiritual content of Hashem's word. The interesting thing, and the Gemara really comments on this, is the placement of the blessing in relationship to the activity. So let's think about this for, for a moment. The Gemara just uh, describes two brachas that, that are require, required. One is that on, on food and one is that on the Word of God. But when it comes to the Word of God, the blessing is before, before the experience and the blessing on food is after the experience. So the Gemara says, the Gemara says, well, if you're going to say thank you afterwards, then surely you should say please, um, please beforehand. Meaning to say, what is better? What if you, educationally speaking, you have your kid and your kid just takes the food off the table. What's more important to say? Is it more important to say thank you afterwards? Is it more important to say please beforehand? Right? This is the Gemara discusses this, this very concept. But, and, that's, and the, the rabbis do that, meaning to say the rabbis place HaMoetzilechim in Aris beforehand, but that's a rabbinic application, but the Torah's application was afterwards. So why would it be that the Torah feels that it's more important to say the blessing afterwards when it comes to food and the blessing beforehand when it comes to Torah study? If there's only going to be two, these are the only two blessings that the Gemara talks about that are sourced in Psukim, just so you to be clear. So these are the only two times the Torah, the Gemara, um, describes that there, there, are, there are blessings to be said on activities uh, over here. So w why? These are only two potential brachos midaraisa from the, from the Torah. So why would there be a difference? Why when it comes to spirituality or physicality? Oh, so good. So, so Ed has got a good point. It's like, when do you finish the meal? Why when it comes to Torah? Like what? You know, <laughs> at which point is there ever an end? I know, I'm sure we all have that feeling. You know, we, we have our projects, we do our thing. And we, and we do feel accomplished, but we never really get there. You know what I'm saying? We, we're, there's always the next frontier. I remember I was discussing with, a, with a, 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 um, a mentor of mine, and he was describing that once, he was describing about this particular individual who'd finished, he really was a genius, and he finished, you know, learning all of uh, Shisha, uh, Sadarim, all, the, all of Shas at the age of 19. So, like, you know, so, so, so what did he do after that? So he said, oh, then he could begin to learn. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So there's, there's never really an ending. So what Ed is saying is that, is that maybe the reason why that you can't say the thank you afterwards is because when do you put that afterwards? At which point? As, as you're falling asleep? As you finish the, you know, so that, that it might be a practical consideration. What else? What else? Why would the, the Berkas Torah before, be before and the Berkas Hamazim? Because what Ed is saying is that the default is it should be afterwards. But, uh, but practically speaking, that's not really possible when it comes to tourists. That's why it's, it's shifted beforehand. Interesting. It's, a, it's almost like an ila, like you want you, you benefit from something. You oh, yeah, very nice. Okay, so, 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 so Baruch is saying is that, is that it's like you sort of, it's all like it's illegitimate gains from, from something holy, meaning when it comes to food, food is food is food, right? But, in, but when it comes to something spiritual, like, you know, who am I, who do I have the license? How long is my subscription allowed for this? You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, sorry, you've read, you've read one too many articles this month, son. So like, I need to ask, I need to, I need to uh, ask the permission before I start to get my subscription going. So that's another possibility. If you think about this, there's multiple options. These are all excellent, excellent suggestions. Washing the Torah be afterwards then. Torah should follow suit. You're right. Whatever the, whatever the rules. So you're going back to Ed. Ah, okay. So, so, so Alan's going a little bit uh, 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 in tangent to, to, to what Ed is saying is that there's an element of satiation. You can feel satiation before. And perhaps one would say that perhaps the greatest moment of satiation that a person would feel when it comes to Torah is before they start. Because once they start, then they suddenly realize it's much bigger. A hundred percent. Good. You know, Torah doesn't have that. You're, you're right, but, but so, so Shalom, you're saying it is such, and I'm asking why is it such? <laughs> so that's so, so I'm just asking why would why would it be that the Torah does it in such a way? Hey. I, I think because you know when you study Torah, it's, it's not an intellectual pursuit, right? Mm -hmm. and, and you and you have to have you have to some sort to establish the fact that I'm learning Torah not not as an intellectual, you know. Good. Okay. Good. Excellent. So, let me let, let me expand on on on, on um, AB just for for a moment. The Mishnah says in, the, in this direction. The Mishnah says is that the Torah is essentially counteracting the the we'll call the tendencies that we may have in the wrong direction. So when it comes to food, um, when so to speak, when is the moment you're likely to feel the least gratitude? Is after you lean back after the seventh course. You know, and you feel just, just wonderful and completely self-sufficient. Self At which point in time the Torah says, wait a second. Meaning before I start the meal, I'm absolutely dependent, right? We as human beings are incredibly vulnerable. 
right, to take us three, three hours at most without a meal or a coffee and we're done, right, we can't, we can't interact with people without being irritable anymore, right, so we feel very vulnerable before the meal. Afterwards, we feel so good with ourselves. Well, do we really need anything? That's when the Torah tells us that we need to. So that's, it's at the moment of danger, so to speak, physically. Spiritually, it works the opposite. Because what happens is that if I walk into my experience of Torah learning, and I'm doing it for intellectual pursuit, and because it's interesting, and, you know, I, and I like to, uh, to spin theories in my mind, and I like, to know, be able, I, I like to be able to be the person who has something to say at the table, whatever it is that I'm doing, if I'm doing it for the wrong reasons, that starts when you walk in. Right? So going back to the Me'ila idea, perhaps that Baruch was suggesting as well, is that in order to sort of set, lay the groundwork, the, the moment of vulnerability actually starts before I, before I begin the experience, because I need to set the goals straight before I start, which is perhaps why it is. The Mishachach says it's to counteract the natural, perhaps, um, tendencies which may be pulling ourselves in the wrong direction, which is afterwards when it comes to food and beforehand when it comes to, to, to Torah learning. Fascinating, okay? One more comment and then we'll just judge it. Yeah, oh, okay. So, so let's, 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 let's go a little further. So, yes. Yes. Start the day. You can't have a day without Torah. Even on a day when you're not allowed to learn, you have to. That's because the Torah says on that day you can't learn if there's such a day on the calendar. So, so that's how your day starts. I can go a day without eating. I can pass an entire day. Jonathan, I love it. I love it. Very good. There we go. So, uh, so Jonathan is saying is practically speaking, the basic necessities, the bare necessities of life. Have to start with in the day in the morning, and that's 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 Torah. We can manage. We can manage. Good, excellent. Meaning, and by the way, Birkas Amazon is only when you act, eat a real meal. You could actually technically speak or subsist on all kinds of other things, not even triggering a Birkas Amazon. Right? Fascinating. Very very beautiful observation, folks. It's so beautiful just to to to, to hear all the all the perspectives. So let's let's do a few basic what's, and then we'll come back to more more of the why. So some of the basic what's. So let's so and then and then we'll do it. So what? So are women re- required to recite because on the answer is yes, absolutely. I'm um, a question in in uh, in, in uh, that that's brought up. What is if I forgot to do berakas Torah? So um, let's say that you for instance well, you're in a rush, you arrive a shul late, it, you you're catching up with everyone, and you realize, oi, I didn't say berakas Torah. Do you say it after davening? The answer is no, actually, because we say something similar to berakas Torah, like by Lakana Shaman, that is. I have a rabbi. Why is I have a rabbi like, uh, like Birkas Torah in that sense? So we ask Hashem with the supplication aspect of it is, 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 in, is in the bracha. So we say, Avino Avarachman, this kills me. This kills me. This is the bracha where the rabbi does not get people to slow down. It only happens after Kriyashma. And this is the best bracha. This bracha is, is, so, is so good and it's said in like literally 13 and a half seconds. Okay, so Avinu Avarachman, our Father who is merciful, Hamarachem who is who has mercy upon us, Rachem Olenu Vesein Bilibenu put in our hearts, Lahavin to understand, Lahas skill to conceptualize, Lishmoya to hear, Lil Modul Lamei to learn to teach, Lishmoya Lahasoyes to God to keep, Olakayem to fulfill. It's called Dires Amut Rasecha Ba'Ava, Vaharin Enu Besar Rasecha. Open up our eyes in your Torah. So it's all the same kind of idea. Which is in 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 Avarabba. However, the post can say that if one is relying on that, one has to make sure to learn right after davening as well, to so to speak, to to concentrate. What what about the Kriyashma itself? Isn't Kriyashma psukim? The answer is Kriyashma is not psukim when you're reading it. It is a mitzvah of Kriyashma. You're doing the mitzvah of Kriyashma. It's not actually learning. So one needs to do it afterwards, which is why it becomes a little complicated. So one has to make sure to ensure saying some of the learning right after davening in order for that to have counted. I was on the Torah as well. Um, what about thinking? So, so this, this happens, like, you know, you're on the way to shul, you're, you're, and you hear something, there's a, a Devar Torah going on in shul before davening. Can you think Devar Torah without speaking Devar Torah? It's a matter of debate. That's had in the Shulchan Aruch. And um, uh, the Shulchan Aruch actually says it's fine. You don't need to say a bracha on thinking Devar Torah. But uh, being as it is a matter of debate in the Poiskin, the Vilna Gaon talks about this particular point. Um, it, is, it is obviously better to, if one has the time, to say Brachat even on thinking, not just, not just, not just hearing as well. Um, what about, do, what about uh, writing the words of Torah? So let's say I'm writing my notes. I have ideas that I like to write down, so I'm not thinking now. In that case, yes. That's articulation. In fact, that's further articulation than even speaking it. Right? Writing is even a further concretization of thought, and that would require Berkat What about doing a mitzvah? So let's say I want to shake lulav before I daven. So do you, do you hear the question? I want to shake lulav, I go out to my sukkah. But isn't the, uh, the Torah tells us in Parashas Emar, 
But Yom Rishon, right, it's a, the Torah tells us you're supposed to take the lulav, so I'm doing what the Torah says. So is my doing the mitzvah, therefore, a, a expression of the, uh, and require, uh, uh, prerequisite, does it have the prerequisite of the Virkas Torah? And the answer is no. There's the learning of Torah and there's the doing of Torah. In this particular case, that does not require a result. Just interesting um, observation. Um, what happens if a person comes to Shul, they come late, and a man is called up to the, to the Torah before... And this is a, this is definitely definitely a concern if one is a levi or a ko, or or a, or a kohen, where one has a higher frequency of being called up. One comes to shul late. They call again early, and they haven't had a chance to say because the Torah. So they're gonna hear from the Torah right there, right? Well, what's what's the eitzah? How does one get out of that? The answer is, well, you say a Birkas Torah. It happens to be the communal aspect of the Birkas Torah, not the private one. So it's missing one or two of the pieces, but it actually is the Birkas Torah. So what, 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 the, what one should do in such a situation is to say the Birkas Torah for the community and afterwards do the missing piece, which is Vaharevna Hashem Elokeinu, that piece which is missing, and then say the, the requisite Pesukim afterwards as well. But it happens to be that one is, so to speak, partially already um, finished finish one's job by doing that. What happens if I, be, I wake up before dawn? So let's say I, I, I have a late night, or no, I, I go to sleep early, I wake up early and I want to learn, and it's long before the, the, the brachas, what am I supposed to do? The answer is, sure, one should be saying the brachas, and that carries one through the entire day, even if one takes a nap after that. But what happens in the opposite way, where if I'm staying awake all night, like Shavuos night? So in that case, the Ashkenazim say that we require having the brachas said by somebody else, whereas the Sephardim actually say a person can say brachas Torah. We'll to discuss why that is, what the reset is on the Torah, and why it carries over all day if there's many breaks. Which we'll get to Bezrat Hashem in a moment. Yes. If someone wakes up in the middle of the night, decides to work. Go for it. Yeah, need, need, needs a new Berkas That's it. There's a new Berkas So it seems that night and sleep together are the trigger for a new Berkas Let's jump, let's jump a little further in. So, how, de- how, how deep is this requirement? Where does this requirement come from originally? So, interestingly enough, um, the Rambam, in recording all of the 613 mitzvahs, does not require, record the, the notion of saying a bracha on the Torah. Aye, but the Gemara does say it's from a pasuk of Kishem Hashem Ekra, that's a pasuk in the Torah. So what, what does it seem like from the Rambam when he reads the Gemara? So he says that really technically speaking, that's, not, that's the rabbi saying, we found a pasuk which sounds like it is connected to this idea, but it's not really the Torah telling us to do that. And it is much more vague than the Rambam doesn't include it. The Ramban, in his comment on the, on the Ramam, so he has a, remember the Ramam has what's called the Sefer Mitzvah, so he counts the 613 Mitzvah, so he has all the Sharashim, which are these roots of how he is about to count the, 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 the Mitzvah, and, and then after the Ramban, Nachmanides says, well, technically speaking, there are a few objections. So he has, an, uh, uh, he has things where he says the Ramam included something which really should not be a Mitzvah, it's not really, inc- uh, uh, it should be coded that way, and then he says the ones that the Ramam forgot, Right, the mitzvahs the Rambam forgot. Now, the Rambam did not forget them, but, but if the Rambam is detracting some of the mitzvahs of the Rambam, he has to fill them in, right? Because it has to be 613. So the 15th, we'll call it a forgotten mitzvah that the Rambam says is this one in source 3. He says, Shinit Stavino, we are commanded, listen to his formulation of this, Lahadois Lishmoy, to thank his, for his name, Yisparach, Bechol Eis, at any time, Shinikra Batorah ala Tovahak Dolash Osolom Besitoi Torosayaleno. We have to thank Hashem for the great kindness of giving us His Torah, His Word. Voidinu Hodienu Hamaasim Haritsuyim Lufonov Shibohem Nenachel Chaye Ho'olom Haba. Because He gave us the instruction manual. Life is really hard. We don't know what we're doing half the time. But we were given the instruction manual, at least the principles were given to us. And this is like the Birkas Samazan. So this is an amazing point. So it says Ramban, what is the, what is the agenda of this bracha? Is to have the gratitude to appreciate that we were given this instruction manual. Just to tell you, to give us a little, a little bit more meat. The Tiferes is on his commentary on Masechus Avos. When Rabbi Akiva says that uh, unbelievable principle that Chaviv Adam that every human being is created in, is dear to Hashem because they're created in the image of God. That this is a, that that Mishnah brings up a lot of discussions about the role of a Jew and the role versus a non-Jew. Because the Mishnah is talking about all of humanity, it's not talking about Jews. Then later on the Mishnah goes on to say, that Israel is called children to God. But everybody's credited in the Tzalem Elohim, that's what the Mishnah says at the beginning, that's what Rebekah is teaching. So Tiferes Yisrael goes into a long essay on this topic, on his commentary on the Mishnah there. And one of the ideas, one of the basic ideas he has in that essay is, is the following. He says that the non-Jewish world, in a certain sense, have less of responsibility 
because they weren't given the instruction manual, right? They weren't given the full Torah. They were given seven basic precepts. But that means to say that, that, that they have less responsibility. But if they arrive at the correct, the, the correct called, called moral compass, they're given even more of a reward because they had to find it themselves. Whereas a Jew who's been given the, the moral compass and chooses to ignore it is going to be held much more responsible because they were given the instruction manual. So just to, just to put things into, into, into perspective on this, on this particular very, very heavy, he, um, um, heavy responsibility. So the Ramban is saying, what is the Birkas Torah? Is thank you God. So the, 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 the example would be like this: Is can you have a person? Can you have a person who is a good person without the Torah? So the other, uh, it, it's a very complex question. Can you have a person who is good without the Torah? So let's imagine that I once said this this, this 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 example from Rabbi David Gottlieb. So let's say you're walking across, you know, you're 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 taking a hike through the valleys, and you're walking along, and you see this beautiful apple tree. So you 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 pick off an apple, and you're about to eat it, and a fellow runs around the uh, from behind the bush and says, "How dare you!" How dare you take my apples? And you say, I, I, I don't know. I really, he says, it's clearly demarcated. You're on private property. It says trespassers will be prosecuted. And, um, and, and you walked into my property and you have the audacity to take my apples. And you say, I don't know. I didn't, I, I, I really, I, I've been walking through this valley. It's, it, it was a, it, it's a public park. And I, and, and this is, and I had no idea. He says, no, there's a fence. He said, there was no fence. I didn't go across any fence. So he says, come, I'll show you. And he walks you. 20 feet in that direction, he looks around and he's dumbfounded because there is no fence. So he shows you that 50 feet to the left there's a fence and 50 feet to the right there's a fence. Um, and in between, the fence must have fallen down, been blown away, knocked over. And you innocently walked into his property and it really is his property and it's very clear on the fence that you should not be here. But you walked through the gap in the fence and you're eating the apple, so you're responsible. So on the one hand, you can't be culpable because you, 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 didn't really, you really didn't know. On the other hand, are you responsible for the damage caused to the property? Well, yes, you, you ate his, his property, right? So what happens if you don't know the fence, right? So what the Ramban is saying is, God, thank you for telling us what the fence is. <laughs> thank, you for thank you for allowing us to understand the, the boundaries, and thank you for allowing us to know the opportunities and res responsibilities in life. That's, that's, that's what happens in the, in the, when it comes to the Birkat Torah. That's a very pragmatic function of this Birkat Torah. Yeah, Moish. According to the Ramban, why is the style of the Bracha not like a Birkat Good. Okay, so good. So let's let's just break it down for a second. Moshe, I want to take that further in a moment. Okay, just hold, hold that point because there's actually three components of the brock. We'll get to that in a second. Okay, but the, uh, just just for the sake of um, without doing it inside, but it is worthwhile noting there are those who disagree and say that really, technically speaking, the Rambam. Well, what's the Rambam's theory? Why why does he diminish the value of doing this business? Right. So the Rambam says it's this thanksgiving, this gratitude for this opportunity for knowing what Hashem wants from us in the world, our calling. Um, the Aruch HaShulchan actually in, in defense of the Rambam says that the Rambam understands that it's all actually, you know, so to speak, piled into the midst of learning Torah itself. Meaning we're supposed to be learning Torah and part of learning the Torah is the bracha on the learning of the Torah itself. It's one and the, the, the same. As opposed to other examples where let's say for instance Mikra Bikurim, there's a, the bringing the Bikurim and there's the Mikra Bikurim are two separate things. There's two separate mitzvahs. Whereas when it comes to Torah, it's actually one um, corpus, one entity as well. Just an interesting discussion there are Hashem defending this. But let's come back to Moshe's question. So, so let, let, let's appreciate the different functions. The Gemara has a debate as to when do I say Berkas Torah? What would trigger the requirement of saying the Berkas Torah? So the Gemara actually is in Brachas of Yud Aleph and Beis, where the Gemara says, You need to do it if you're doing Mikra. What's Mikra? Tanakh, right? So it all starts with Tanakh, folks. Okay, so before we get to anything else, let's learn God's book. Okay, the Bible. So you got to, got to do it for the Bible, nothing else. But then in Rabbi Eliezer Omar, so when it comes to the, the actual Bible itself, the, uh, and when it comes to the explanations on it, the, the Midrash, then you would, but not for Mishnah, which is a Torah Shabal Peir. So there seems to be this expanding scope of what requires Be'er Torah up to the point of Gemara, which means all of Talmud. Um, and the Gemara then says, what is it? So uh, the Gemara then gives an example about Rav Chia Barashi, who says that when we were in, in, a, in the presence of Rav, he, when he was teaching us Sifra, which is a Midrash Halacha, he would say the Bracha. So there's a story to augment this idea. And the Gemara then goes on to say, skipping that line. The commandment that Hashem commanded us to involve ourselves in learning Torah. Rabbi Yochanan and Sayyim Bohaki, Rabbi Yochanan had a different uh, ending. And he had a different ending. 
Lishma. Well, then, uh, there's a little bit of di- diff- differences in the text here. Baruch Atah Hashem Amunai Tzara Yisrael. That's the second option. And Ramnun Amar Asher Baruch Abanu Mikol Ho'amim. That you cho- cho- chose us from all the nations. Baruch Atah Hashem Nasen Torah. So uh, um, the, the, these are three options that are suggested by the sages. And the Gemara concludes by saying, Which means that therefore, because there are three options, we should say all three of them. So three different things. Let's appreciate the tone of each of those different statements. The first one, is what kind of bracha? That would be a classic What's called Berkaz Mitzvah? Like before I am about to pick up the Lulav in Esrach. Like before I'm about to hear or blow Shofar. Like the Bracha before a man would put on Tzvilin. That's the same Berkaz Mitzvah. I'm about to do a Mitzvah. I'm commanded to learn Torah. And therefore that, 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 that's the first part. What's the second part by Revna that Rabbi Yochanan would, would add? What's the tone of that? That's not a Berkaz Mitzvah. What is that? Right. It's, it's, it seems like it's an element of supplication. Right. There's a supplication which relates to the benefit that a person is going to get to it. This is an element of supplication. And the third part, what is the third part of Asher Bach That sounds That sounds like a bigger. That's like, you know, thank you God for choosing us as the nation. It's not about me particularly. It's not about my responsibility. It's about being the chosen nation. So actually all these three ideas are three very different concepts, right? One is I'm commanded to. I'm going to say a bracha on that. One is supplication that it should be a good experience. And number three is, is that the global perspective is that we're the chosen nation. Three different things which are encapsulated in the Berkhaz Torah. Rav Lichtenstein points out a very fascinating observation. Of those three things, which are the two which are joined together? Which are the two which are joined together? On number one and two. Do you notice that? In fact, that's why the Gemara's la- language is very, very precise. It doesn't say that Rabbi Yochanan had a different bracha. He says, Messiah Bahachi. Rabbi Yochanan would end that bracha as such, which is why the Torah say we should not make an interruption in, the, in, the, in, in those two, in paragraph one and paragraph two. It's really considered one bracha. So Rav Lutzenstein's observation is, is that's precisely what Judaism is all about. On the one hand, Judaism is about, this is normative practice. I'm expected as a God-fearing Jew to be involved in learning Torah. I, that is a responsibility I have every single day. And there's not a single day of my life that should go by without me doing a little bit of learning of Torah at the very, very least. But at the same time, I want it to be something I enjoy, something which I transmit, something which is the story I'm telling to my children. And those two are joined, they're fused. You can't separate the two. The requirement and the, res- uh, and, and the inspiration, the compulsion and the, uh, and the aspirations are all joined together in the first two brachas. Just to appreciate the, 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 the two pieces that are over here um, uh, as well. In fact, one who wants to do a little bit of uh, fancy footwork, um, the, the Baruch Shomer, Rav, Rav uh, Epstein, Rav Baruch Epstein, um, the son of Baruch HaShulchan, um, says a very beautiful thing here. He says, in fact, that third, um, which part components of Torah are we actually uh, saying the blessings on? Well, what kind of what part of the Torah are we talk about where God chose us and gave us the Torah? That is the writ, right? The actual Bible on Sinai. He chose us. He gave us. He the luchos, the, the Torah. That was what he gave us at Sinai. La soik Torah. What's divrei Torah? The words of Torah. That's the oral Torah and requires a lot of a lot of sweat and a lot of tension and a lot of energy and it's a lot of commitment and it's not easy and it doesn't all fit together so simply. Right? That's la soik bedirei Torah. Right? So there's the two components of, of the Torah which are being talked about. What's what doesn't seem right then, if that's the case? The order. Right? So what should we say? What was given first? The Torah Shabbat was the, on Mount Sinai. And yes, there was the Torah Shabbat, which is expansive from there, but the first thing we heard was the Torah Shabbat. So why do we talk about the Torah Sheba Alper, the oral Torah, um, uh, first? If that's, the, if that's the case, that doesn't sort of fit the chronological sequence of things. So explains Baruch HaLevi Epstein um, in his commentary, Baruch Shomar, on the Siddur. He says the reason is, is because you cannot possibly conceive of the Torah Shebech without the Torah Shebech And he goes on to explain numerous examples. Like the Torah tells us, you're supposed to keep this Shabbos business every seven days and if, at pain of death. Right? But the Torah doesn't tell us what that means. So every seven days, we essentially have this anvil above our heads, but we don't know what to do to avoid it. So what are we supposed to, what are we supposed to do to, to avoid this? He, w- uh, the mitzvah of Piri of Arivia, of having children. What does that mean? What's the responsibility? Upon whom? What's the limit? Ha- this, he goes through mitzvah to mitzvah, bris mitzvah. He goes in, 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 in through the, the Torah. And he says that's why it's so important to be able to appreciate the Torah Shabbat the written Torah. You need to have the oral Torah. It's, a, it's two halves of the whole. You can't separate the two, which is why I believe that's why he's actually, he actually giving a subliminal advertising for another book he wrote. <laughs> and what is that? The Torah Tamimah. 
the, the Rav Levi, Baruch Levi Epstein wrote a book called the Torah to Mimah. Why did he call that the pure Torah? What was the goal of that book? Is you open up a Torah to Mimah, on the top you have the Pesukim, on the bottom you have all the Gemaras and Midrash, and he explains them in his footnotes. And he calls the Torah to Mimah because it's the pure Torah because he puts it all on one page. And if you want to leave, yeah, I remember one time I was in the office of Rav Zvulun Kharlap, you should live and be well. And he said, if you want to see a letter of a parent who's proud of their child, you should read the Aruch HaSushulchan, that's Rav Yechiel Michal Epstein, his introduction to his son's book the, uh, of the Torah Tzimimah, of how proud he was when his son put out the, the, the Torah Tzimimah. And I believe that's what he's saying over here, is that's why he understands that every morning we say the bracha on the, the Torah Shemal Peh, before we even say the bracha on the Torah Shemal Peh. Because to understand the Torah Shemal Peh, you need to have the, the, the prerequisite, yes. Is it possible they did it because very possibly as well, meaning to say those, and throughout Jewish history, we have many, many folks who say, listen, we'll take what God gave us and what the rabbis gave us. Now, technically speaking, that's not exactly true because there are five components of Torah Shavuot Peh, to be frank, and one of them was what was given on Sinai. The rest of the, you know, so the, the rabbis are transmitting and expanding at the same time. It's not, so it requires a little bit of, like we'll call intellectual honesty, but the tzidukim don't, they just sort of just, you know, baby in the bathwater kind of thing when it comes to this. So complicated, but that's, that's, what's, that's what's happening over here as well. Um, it's interesting, actually, the, the, um, there's, there's a story, actually, that Rebetzin Pesya Soloveitchik would say that there was a, there was a fellow in Prujan, a, a, a young, young man who was, you know, sort of had the, had the makings of, of greatness, and he was given the blessing that he should have a Gilui Eli, Eliyahu, that... Elijah the prophet should, should, should come to him and, and, and grace him with insights into Torah. And he said, I, I politely and, and appreciatively decline such a blessing. He says, because I would prefer, to, if I want to get anywhere in Torah, I would make sure, I would like to make sure that I'm doing it myself. And that's what the Brach is saying. Is, is that I want to be able to climb that mountain and make those accomplishments myself without, without somebody else giving it to me on a silver platter. That's part of the Torah Sheval Peh aspect of this, which is, which is described here. Two, 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 uh, two more other points, and perhaps we'll, we'll close with this. So this, this is why we couldn't do all this in one little segment, because there's so much in this. Two, two basic points. Point number one is, is that there's a, the, the, this, this business about, um, about breaks. This is a very unusual bracha, in the sense that, as Tosis points out, is like this. Let's say... I have the mitzvah of sukkah, right? So I have to eat in the sukkah. Fantastic. So I come back from shul in the morning. I say kiddush in the sukkah. I, I say lay shave. I have a little bit of cake. We have a little, uh, it's a wonderful time. It's a beautiful time. The sun's just, uh, just, just coming over the edge. It's not too hot yet. It's a beautiful time. We take a break and then we come back for lunch. We say a new bracha lay shave if it's a half an hour break. And then we're going uh, um, to have dinner in the sukkah later on this evening, a new bracha. But why all these brachas? Why all these brachas? After all, isn't it one mitzvah? The answer is, the answer is, is well, you've had breaks. So every time you have a break, that sort of speak resets the counter. So now it's now a, a new application. Same mitzvah, new time that I'm doing it. It doesn't work like that with Torah. Let's, 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 let's think about our day. So uh, ma- Monday morning, right? We get into shul, we're davening, we're, wherever it is that we're able to daven, we say Birkas Torah. Fantastic. If we're lucky, we have the opportunity of doing, let's say, Mishnah Yomi right after davening, right? We're, we're, we're able to do some sort of learning, to, uh, learning on the way, and, and then we're off. We go home, we pick up a little bit of breakfast, we get on the train, we get into the car, we go on, on the way to work. Let's say that at this point in time, let's say um, after taking care of a few important calls, um, one has to, one wants to listen to a share, right? One puts on Aliyah Yomi, naturally. Um, so, <laughs> so at that point in time, there's been a break. There's been, you know, I had to pick up the banana and the coffee, right? I'm now in the car, did a few calls already. So I should say a new bracha. So, okay, fine. I get to the office. Then it's the, you know, the, the, the rain of Monday morning emails. You know, it takes a good two hours just to, to, to wipe up and all the crises and everything else has happened. I'm starting to get into, in, into, into a zone. I get out for, I get out for, for Mincha, the, the office building next door. And there's a fellow who always says a short Dvar Torah before or after Mincha. But that's, an, I've had now a five hour break, you know, between the, between the, the so I should say a new Birkas Torah. Then like, you know what I'm saying? So, why is it that I could technically speaking have done a five or six Birkas Torahs throughout the day by the time that I'm able to slip in and I go back and I try to have a So says to us, why is, why is it not like sukkah? Why does it not behave like sukkah? Says to us in source seven, V'yesh Lomar in the underlined section, Deshani Torah she'ena miyayesh daetai. Says a person has the responsibility of learning Torah all day long, and although practically speaking that may not be a possibility, but a person in a certain sense is always involved. In a person, it's almost like they never left the sukkah in that respect. 
which is a strange thing because technically speaking, when I'm driving <laughs> and I'm navigating that on-ramp onto the Van Wick, which is now one lane and there's uh, people coming in, I'm really not thinking about Torah at that point in time. I'm just trying not, get to ki- not, not to get killed, right? I'm so, so it is really a fair observation uh, on the human psyche. The two possibilities are the following. The Pachad Yitzhak says, Rabbi Huttner says a very beautiful observation in Source 8. He says, in the underlined section, There are many actions in life which are technically speaking not very much related to my actual learning. They are considered involvement in Torah. So let me go back to the on-ramp right now. And at this point in time, there's that person who really did not wait. And they went down the, you know, the, the shoulder, as they should not have been because there's no police car now. And now I have the option of being mean and, and cutting them off in order to... But now I've decided, you know what, today is going to be a day that I'm going to let them in. I'm not going to... Right, so that action itself has an element of the reflections of the distilled experience of Torah also is now relating to this point in time as well. That means to say, I can now express the Torah. This is what we'll call the, the, the broader experience of Torah. And if the Torah does not distill down into our lives in such a way, then there might be something wrong with the distillery, right? <laughs> so it's important to appreciate that there has to be some sort of translation process. And that is also including the expansive version of Torah. That's the way that the um, Rav Hudna understands. This is why, by the way, as an interesting uh, uh, halacha, there is a uh, there is a halacha in Shulchan Aruch. We're not going to read inside, but there are, there are, the Ramah tells us that if you open up a Sefer Torah, there is there is a, a few hidurim in a Sefer Torah. One is that every column should start with a vav, right? So it's what's called vavayam mudim, which means literally the hooks of the of the of the columns. So every every column, it's almost like it's one and, as if the Torah is one long algorithm, right? But that's a, that's a hidur. He says, but the one thing that every Torah has to have is what's called bekoshema barajah mudim. What's bekoshema? It is those letters beis yud hey. Shin mem vav on the tops of the of the of the of the, the columns. What does that mean? So the Ramah explains. Well, the the the, the shach over here in the Shulchan Aruch explains. Beracious beis the beracious. Then yudata yoducha. That's the yud. Then ha 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 and There are certain words that have to be at the top of the columns. So you say, what's the relevance to that? J.J. Shachter once said as well is that we have to have bekashemoy the name of Hashem emblazoned upon the tops of our lives, the beginning of our lives. We start the day, we say Birkas Torah, and the rest of the day is mighty complicated. But if we have the Bukhashim, if we have Hashem's name, the beginning of it, hopefully it will, it will enfranchise the rest of the experience of the day to also be re- following perhaps the way, the goal setting I did at the beginning of the day. That's Rav, 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 Rav Hutner's idea. Rav Soloveitchik takes it one step further, and this is such an unbelievably beautiful perspective. This is what Rav Soloveitchik says in Shiori Rav. And it's, it's just so profound. I, this to me has always changed my, my way of experiencing the day. There are two kinds of awareness according to Tosos. Acute awareness and latent awareness. And this awareness is still pre- uh, present even when one is engaged in other matters. When a mother plays with her child, there is an acute awareness of the child. But even when the mother works or at a job or is distracted by some act- other activity, there is a natural latent awareness of a child's existence. Now, I'm not going to comment on where the father is in this. <laughs> some dads are a little more on the page, some are less, a little less. Which is expressed in commitment, devotion, and the feeling of identification, a feeling that she and the baby are one. The same is true with regard to the Torah. There may be an acute awareness of the Torah for, uh, for 24 hours each day, but the latent awareness never ceases. This is the reason why we say La'asoik B'Divei Torah. La'asoik implies that even when we are mentally involved with something else, we are aware of Torah. This awareness of Torah should become part of one's awareness. Just as I'm always aware of my own existence without having to walk around saying, I exist, I exist, so should I be aware of the Torah. And that's what the Tosis is saying, which is a very profound insight into the way I live my life. It's similar to what Rav Whitner was saying, where other activities can be part of La'asoik by Torah, but he, the way he puts it is almost the subconscious awareness of Hashem, which we have started by seeding it at the very beginning of the day. One last thought, and I know that our time is, is coming to an end. The la- last thought is that the Gemara does say a rather shocking thing about this Birkaz Torah, and it's, wor- it's worthwhile our appreciating wh- what this is and the import it has in our lives. The Gemara does say that um, li- li- if uh, everything we've learned this morning and everything we've known, because I'm sure most people are aware of most of what we learned today, and this is all a revision, but, um, but uh, let's say we didn't do it, right? So let's say it was, a, it was a rush day, we didn't manage to do it, and we just carried on the day, right? So like, you know, my gora, like, what, what do we lose out? You're like, well, well, in the end of the day, tachless. 
Bottom line is, is did we, well, how much, how bad is it? How bad is it not to have dives at the back of the So, okay, you know. So it's you, a, little, a little bit of rush, but in the end of that, I still learned. I did the dive. Right? I, still, I still went to the shir, I had the chevrosa. So is it, is it that bad? The Gemara says it's really bad. The Gemara says it's really bad. It's one of the things really, one really shouldn't miss out. So I until how far? The Gemara says in the Dharim, strikingly, strikingly, at the top of page 7, um, we're going to start... Um, um, the, the following. He says, Who is the man who understands this uh, concept? What does that mean? What's, let's get the subtext to that. Nobody understood. Jeremiah is asking, How could this destruction happen? How could the base of be destroyed? Who understands this? And he is saying that nobody really understood it. Ad Hashem explained why was the base of Egypt was destroyed and the land was exiled. Um, because you left my, my, my Torah. Isn't that what the, the rest of the Pasuk says, which is that you didn't listen to my voice? That's the Torah, isn't it? This is a, that, that's what we didn't keep the mitzvahs. No, the reason why the whole land was destroyed, why exile was decreed upon the land of Israel, is because they didn't celebrate Kasa Torah. It's like, <laughs> but they were still learning. They still learned. It doesn't say they weren't learning, right? It, it says that they. It, say, it says that they, they didn't say the brach on the Torah. That, that was like the that you know maybe that's the cherry on the cake, but that's that doesn't that doesn't seem to to, to justify the gravity of the of the destruction. So obviously the Rekha's story is, is, is symptomatic of something. So what's it symptomatic of, which if missing is critical to, to the existence of Israel upon their land. So the, 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 the way it's generally understood, the way it's generally understood is the Ran, Rabbeinu Nisim, whose commentary is the most prevalent commentary on the Midarim, which is where this Gemara is, says, Kolomar in source 13, Shiloi Haisa Torah chashuva be'enehem kol kach shihiru ura'u levarech They learnt it. But it wasn't that important. It was not an ancillary subject. You know, we have philosophy and we have Torah and we have physics and we have all the other subjects which are there. And I'll, I'll go to the class and I'll take the notes. And, but at the end of the day, it's, it's not really, you know, it's, an, it's an, a, a, a nice additional intellectual pursuit while I'm reading other books. Um, that's, that, that was the attitude to, towards it. The way Rashi puts it in Source 14 is, It's not important. It's like, you know, when you, you know when you give your kids something which you think is really important, they kind of leave it out in the rain? You know that feeling? And, like, you know, and you're like, I'm never going to give this ingratitude another gift again. Right? Like, you know, it's so important. Then the thing that wasn't there, you know, that little box that, that, that the container came in and they turned into something, they put it on their mantelpiece. Like, you know, like, like what, what is that all about? So God says, it's, it's clearly not important to them. I gave them the Torah and here they are, they're busy playing with the box. Right? That's what, that's, what, that's what this indicates when they're not saying the Birka Satara as well. To take it one step further, the Kilis Yaakov. Who's the Kilis Yaakov? It's worthwhile learning, especially today, because today is, is, the, is the funeral of Rav Chaim Kanievsky. Um, this is the father of Rav Chaim Kanievsky um, uh, from Hornstipel um, in, in Eastern Europe. And says, he says the following, he says in, in Source 15, So Moshe had said this beforehand. When you say the bracha of Vaharevna Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem let make the Torah be sweet to us, there's an element of it being, what's a birkas anenin? A, bro- a blessing on enjoyment. And if it's a bro- like, like when I'm about to eat food, and if a person therefore does not have that enjoyment, then in a certain sense they're not fulfilling the, the Birkas Torah. They don't understand that the Torah is not meant to be an onus. It's not meant to be something which I have to do because it's a social pressure to do it or because I want to be part of this, the, you know, the, the daf It's because it's something which actually means something to me. And I'll, I'll train myself. I'll learn, I'll learn to have the acquired taste to appreciate how this enriches my life, enriches my perspective. It'll be part of the conversation. I have not just, among the other things, but it'll be part of something which is meaningful to me. That's, that's what's meant to be. Um, and in fact, the Egle Tal, the Sokotrava Rebbe, the Avne Nezer, in his introduction to Hilchah Shabbos, which he writes, he bemoans the fact that people would learn Torah just for the fact they had to learn Torah. In fact, he quotes a very strange practice that people would do, is they would learn Maharsha without Tosos. Now, just to appreciate what this means. The Maharsha is a commentary on the Tosos. Tosos is hard by itself, right? But now people would learn Maharsha without the Tosos to try to work out backwards what the Tosos was saying without having read the Tosos in order to just to do Torah for the sake of Torah without any enjoyment because it's very hard to learn Maharsha without the, without the Tosos. He says, that's nonsense. Nonsense. A person should be learning Torah because it's unbelievably beautiful. That's why there's a halacha. If a person has to decide what they're going to be learning, what should they be learning? 
It's what a person enjoys because part of the learning of Torah is something which is meant to be beautiful. It's, a, it's something which is meant to be uplifting and, and special. Finally, just to close, we conclude with the words of Rav Lichtenstein himself. There's a beautiful essay on this topic. Um, it appears actually online. It's worthwhile reading the whole thing. He says, the conjunct- oh, this, this, this is the, the, point, the point I made beforehand, but the, take a look at the top of the, the, the last page on page 8. And this is where, where it comes to. So we... And uh, so we should and would learn Torah as, as we fulfill other mitzvahs, even as it were, to our palate castor oil. We aspire, however, to experience it as milk and honey. And it is for that level of gratification, at once spiritual and visceral, that we pray in the imploring Vaharevna. The fusion of duty and joy, obligation, gratification, commitment and fulfillment is central to the view of Vodas Hashem. It received us, uh, and it receives special emphasis with respect to Talmud Torah, which is why, coming back to his notion, the two brachas are fused. The first bracha and the second. The requirement and the inspiration are put together. That's the, 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 the duality that we require now. So just, just doing a quick recap over here. We looked at the Berkha's Torah. We looked at the source of it. The fact that there's a little bit of a debate as to whether it's biblical, not biblical. Why comes before, not after um, was, was part of the discussion. There are three parts to it. Why are there three, there are three components? The Torah Shabbat prepared, the Torah Shabbat We looked at some of the interesting ideas of why there's no breaks, even though there are multiple breaks in the day, why it still covers and governs the entire day, and why the missing of it is actually lacking, is symptomatic of lacking the appreciation of what the Torah experience is supposed to be. A lot to, lot to discuss, a lot to, lot, lot, to, lot to appreciate. Abi, yes, and then we'll close. Yes. Yes. Good question. So actually, if you open up the Gemara, there is another prayer. Yeah. If you open up the Gemara, there is a Yiratzon said before in the Gemara, and that relates to it. It is not as specific as you're saying, as the Temanic tradition, but there is a Yiratzon which is said before learning Torah, which is in a certain sense an extension of this, but it has extra additional details as well about not making mistakes as well, which is related to this. But that also appears in the Gemara um, in, in addition. But yes, absolutely, that, that should be the continuation. It's almost, I think, a refocusing. When it comes to when it comes to this, it is to be noted. Interestingly enough, and this is just last last interesting point, is that there are some who say that there are three Birkasatah parts of Birkasatah to relate to Mikra, Mishnah, and Gemara, and that's the three things we say afterwards relating to each of those three: the Pasuk, the Mishnah, and the Gemara, which all relate to the three dimensions of the Torah that we're talking about. Yes, there you go. That's exactly that's the Ashrei Shriyama. Excellent. For, for